Hey listeners, welcome to episode 19 of Define Normal. This week, I'm joined by Hyatt Rita. Hyatt is a creative strategist, influencer, author, and a serial entrepreneur. Most recently, she launched a candle brand. She's also a big believer that we are all influencers in some way. In this conversation, Hyatt and I discuss a little bit of everything, from boundaries to Black women in luxury, and how to handle sharing the fact that you've changed with the world. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. She drops a lot of gems. Welcome to this week's episode of Define Normal. This week, I'm joined by Hyatt Rita, and we are here to discuss all things from her platform to boundaries to Black women in luxury. Hyatt, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you. I'm Hyatt. I like the Black luxury part, so that's that's what I'm here for. (laughs) We are definitely going to talk about Black women in luxury because your Instagram account like screams luxury, and it's so unapologetic and I aspire, but before we do that, I would love to hear a little bit about you. So we know that you're an influencer, but you're way more than that. So tell us a little bit about you. Okay, so I always start with born and raised in Accra, Ghana. Um, Moved to the States a couple years ago about, and by a couple, I mean like 14. And, you know, I've been in, I was in advertising for a really long time. And through, through that, I learned sort of the skill of influence through marketing and started my own influencer, you know, do I say company? No, I started my own influencer platform. And from there, I now work in tech, um, my lovely coworker at Facebook and Instagram, and also writing a children's book, have a candle company. I organize a group trip every year, except COVID year. And yeah, there's a couple other things I'm working on that aren't public yet, but yeah, really, really a busy person, but busy with purpose, I like to say. You are very busy, and I oftentimes wonder how you do it. I think one of the best parts about your platform is you're pretty transparent about how you're doing it. So we see like the early mornings, the scheduling, you're very transparent, but like I have a team, it's not me who's doing all this stuff by myself. So I love, I think I the transparency is what's the best because I see so many influencers where I'm like, how on earth are they doing this? And you give us the blueprint, which I love. For my first question, I wanna talk about sharing your platform and being so vulnerable. So often when you look at someone's social media, whether they're an influencer or whether they're just like an everyday person, there's an element of sharing there. You decide if you wanna be vulnerable, if you wanna just share where you ate for brunch, but your page is like, you're telling us a lot. I'm sure you're not telling us everything, but you're really taking us on this journey. So. Can you tell me how you can like how you find the motivation to be so vulnerable on social media and what has it done for you? I think it takes more motivation to not be vulnerable. That's that's where I'll start with. It's sort of I think a lot of times if I come on and I'm in a bad mood, rather than trying to put on this show of, hey guys, welcome, I'm just like, guys, it's a horrible day today. Today's one of those days. I'm drinking a glass of wine. I think it actually is much easier to just say how it is. I think there's also a beauty in, even though I know I'm speaking to an audience, I can't see them. So I'm just kind of like, ah, you're just gonna take it how how you will. But it, it took a bit of practice. It's a bit of a muscle because sometimes what people like to call oversharing and I just call pure reality makes people uncomfortable. So I will get comments from people who I don't know, people who I do know, you're oversharing. Did you need to share that? And I think for me, I'm a, I'll put everything out there and then through lessons, through mistakes, I will learn what to scale back. 
So I can't brainstorm how much I'm going to share. I'm just going to share, listen to how I feel. Because there are some things I've shared before where I'm like, ooh, probably not. Shouldn't have done that. But I learned my own way. I didn't learn because somebody told me you shouldn't be sharing that. And I think how vulnerability gets comfortable is you share your story. So I have sort of a conversation with my family, my siblings, whereas I don't share their stories. Let's say I'm talking about my childhood. I can share my point of view or I'm talking about an experience. I can share my point of view. I don't have to include them or tell anybody else's story. So that that's what makes it easier. It's you're sharing your version of the world without harming other people. That's a good point. When you're controlling the narrative and it's about you individually, it's hard for people to get upset. I'm sure there are comments, but it's this is just my point of view. This is how I see it. I also think it's interesting about things that you don't share. It sounds like you do a little bit of a test. Like I put some stuff out there. Maybe we reel it in. We're not going to share that anymore. Um, I think that's hard with things like relationships, things like where you're living, what you're doing. Like there's this element of like, should I be telling them that? Do you think it helps your followers without you're vulnerable? Like are people in your DM saying they can relate? Like what do you get back from that vulnerability? I think that's why I'm still going because so many people need to see normalcy. For example, yesterday I was on Instagram talking about how much I'm dealing with anxiety. And I said, I just want to show you visibly that anxiety is a normal thing. Times where I've gone through, you know, depression to me is a constant, but you have waves. When I'm at my low point, I will talk about it, maybe after, sometimes during, because so many people are going through these things and they're performing normalcy. Nobody is having a normal time. We're all just performing normalcy. So sometimes I will try and reveal the abnormal parts of it so that when you see me, you'll say, okay, she's, I mean, she has her bad days, but she's okay for the most part. So that when you are going through your bad days, you're kind of like, you know, I'll get through it, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. And, and for me, when I hear people say, I started therapy because you talk about it like you're telling us the weather, or I'm understanding boundaries for the first time. Now that, my dear, is why you keep going. Because you're, you're here, I think everybody has to be on this earth for a purpose. And for me, I heal out loud. And my healing out loud causes people to understand the healing they need. And, and that's, that's it for me. Wow. You touched on boundaries, which I'd need to get into because every time I look at your page, I love when you're like, listen, I didn't ask you guys for recommendations. I just said what I said. Or like if you're talking about training and I love this call out because there's so much diet culture and one day we'll get into that. But you're like, you know, if this is a trigger for you, like I'm working out right now. Like I'm trying to eat right. Like if that triggers you, you don't have to engage. Like, I love that call out. I love telling people I'm not asking for recommendations. Have you always been like this? Like, what made you set those boundaries? Oh, no, no, no. I've been like this for maybe a year. Let's, let's just all, let's just level set it. I think it really came, it was a couple of things. When you, I, you know, last year, I really went into deep therapy. I was going to therapy twice a week, every single week for a whole year. You start to tell your therapist, and this makes me feel this way. And then she goes, so why didn't you just tell them you didn't like that? And I'm just like, no, but they didn't mean it. No, 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 why, why didn't you just tell them? And I was like, bruh, is that it? You're just supposed to tell people how you want to be treated. And I think a lot of times growing up in a respect-driven African culture is your feelings don't matter. What's a feelings? Is that a fragrance by Dior? Like, I don't know what feelings are. And so 
As an adult, I've had to reparent myself and give myself the permission to feel. So I will pay attention to different things that trigger emotions in me. Like I get irritated when people give me opinions I didn't ask for. Like the other day I was sharing a recipe and people were telling me what to do differently. So when I pay attention to how I'm feeling, it actually started heating me up where I was getting irritated and that's gonna fuck up my day. So they don't know I don't want to hear that. So how about I tell them, hey, I actually really don't want to hear your take on it. If that's how you cook it, great. If I was looking for tips and tricks to cook it, I would ask. Now, to some people, it will get very uncomfortable, but the thing is that where you're uncomfortable is where growth happens. So let me tell you something, as much as people might get irritated, they're actually gonna think twice before they ever give somebody an opinion again. So that's that's how it started on one part, going through therapy, understanding how things made me feel. And then on the other hand, I'll also credit one of my closest friends, Kayla. That, that girl is a boundary girl through and through. Like I remember at the beginning of our friendship, I was going through like a rough time and I used to like vent to her and she'd wake up and I've texted her cause I wake up early. So I'll tell her, I don't know today I'm feeling this, this and my relationship and like all of that kind of stuff. And one day she said to me, Hey, it's really hard for me to take in so much pain or whatever in the morning. So can we just agree not to offload on each other before 8 AM? And I remember I was like, what the hell is wrong with her? Like how dare? And then I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. She's telling me how she wants our friendship to go. And then I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, she gave me the permission to start saying, you know what? Then I started telling my sister, hey, can you not call me? And the first thing you tell me is what's wrong with your day. And so that became a ripple effect. And coupled with therapy, I was like, oh, boundaries galore. You get a boundary and you get a boundary and you get a boundary. And it's such a beautiful thing because we always expect people to know how to treat us without ever telling them what are they magicians they have other things to do so if you just tell them what you like and don't like then then that's just that's just it right people aren't mind readers and also boundaries are hard to your point about growing up in a place where it's like it's respect like most of our homes are like this is I mean I had room for my feelings I won't I won't discredit my parents but it was kind of like respect is a thing as I as I share boundaries with my parents as a 27 year old sometimes my mom's like wait what I'm like yeah I don't really want you to do that like oh can we do this for your birthday it's my birthday I don't really want you to do this like it's just it's having that uh conversation can be really hard but it also folds into people pleasing because I know I am a bit of a people pleaser although I don't read that way I am I'm a lot of a people pleaser and I think I think the the easier I think we we make people pleasing feel like this doom thing. We are all people pleasers in some shape or form. And for me, it's, I don't, I always want, because it's one of those things where I see the greatness in myself. And sometimes it's, that's not, my greatness is not what I put forward. So my level of people pleasing is, I know how great I am and I just want people to experience that. And it's like, why can't you see I'm trying, I'm really, putting good into the world. I'm really trying to inspire people. So my people pleasing is like, why can't you just see me? And at some point in time, I'm like, I see me, I'm the shit. And that's, that's fine. But people pleasing makes it hard because you don't want to offend people. I have like, you know, I've had to revisit friendships from childhood that I still have and realize, like, I remember I had a conversation with my therapist and I was like, 
I always get antsy when I'm talking to specific people and I always want to tell them and I did this and I did that and like look how great this is and I was like because from a young age I've really I didn't think I was good enough to be friends with like the cool kids so I spent my whole life trying to renew our friendship of this is why you you should still want to be my friend this is why you should still want to be my friend and that is people pleasing and I think like now as an adult I was just like Shit, I want to be friends with me if nobody wants to be friends with me. And so I've been able to pull back from some things and being like, no matter how you feel about me, I don't have that desire for you to like me anymore because I'm okay if you don't. And it doesn't mean, not, not liking me doesn't mean you hate me, but we don't have to agree. But before, I would switch my point of view. I would switch my outlook on something because if somebody who I deeply respected had a point of view and I wanted them to respect me the same way I respected them or hold them that high, I would then, you know, switch myself. I would change everything about myself. And that was rooted in insecurity. If you don't think you're great, you will keep looking for people to affirm your greatness. And that's what happens on social media too. When I first started as a blogger, I was looking for people to affirm my greatness. And you, you, you just spend the rest of your career trying to climb out of that. Yeah, like needing that confirmation that you're great is something that you'll never, you'll keep chasing because you'll find new people that need to confirm your greatness. And I think that you can see the shift in your social media because it's like, now you're just doing you. Like, I feel like we're dancing in the mirror. We're cooking our food. We're going to Puerto Rico. Like, I just feel like you're doing whatever you want to do. And it's fun to see because they're like we said, like I said in the intro, there's this black woman in luxury moment that I am seeing. And I recently saw a tweet from Karen Civil that was saying like, black women deserve luxury. She said we need to normalize black women in luxury. And also said that like, we're the epicenter of trends and culture. So it's not just about bags and trips. It's like, we deserve a nice life, a nice house, like the best of everything. And I see you executing that. I think there's there's also an addendum out to put on Karen Civil's tweet, and I adore Karen Civil, respect her 100%. It's also, we need to normalize black women in luxury without giving it a nickname. So when, when you see a white woman just enjoying a good life, cool. When you see a black woman doing that, guess what we call them, bougie. Why does it have to have a nickname? Once it has a nickname, you're not normalizing it. So for me now, I've started to push back on people who call me bougie. No, this is just my norm. Or if someone says, can you, uh, you know, um, there's an influencer who I follow and yesterday she was talking about, stop telling me to post stuff that's affordable. Affordability is relative. Because let me tell you, there is like, yes, I can buy a Chanel bag today, but I can't fly private. To somebody, flying private is more affordable than owning their own 747 Boeing. To someone, flying business is more affordable than flying private. To somebody, flying in general, even if you're at the back of the plane, is more affordable to them than flying business. Somebody, Greyhound is more affordable than taking a bike. Affordability is a rolling scale. So we can't project other people to present their world in a way that it makes our world feel comfortable. We have to be comfortable showing our world as it is. I like nice things. I work stupidly hard for those nice things. And my leak always talks about stop glamorizing the hustle without showing off the gifts of the hustle. And 
And so many times people want to like tell you you're showing off or something. And recently I talked about, am I showing off or are you looking at it through a lens of envy? Because that's, that's the only way I'm showing off. If you're looking at it from a thing of, I want that. So until I get that, she needs to stop putting it in my face and reminding me that I can't have that. And that's how we normalize luxury. When I see my friends flying private, yes, come on private, take the picture on the runway. Take the picture before you get on the plane. Like boomerang every angle of that plane. I will hype you up. I'm look at it and say, here she goes on the jet. No, if you get to the jet, celebrate the fact that you're on the jet. And, and guess what? Make sure the captain knows I might be there in a year. And when I'm there, you'll hype me up. By the time I'm on the jet, you will own a jet. And we will just keep growing together. And that's just how we have to look at black women together. That's a great mindset because there is this envy and I even feel it myself sometimes. I felt I feel called out when I'm like watching the stories and you're like, okay, if you can't deal with this right now, just don't watch the stories. Because I think there is this space of like seeing people on social media get more and more and like this abundance and you're kind of like, that's not where I'm at. And you kind of get envious, but this call out of like, like they deserve this and you need to just be happy for people. If you're envious, it's more about you than it is about them. It's not about them. I'm actually so happy that all of these black women are doing all these incredible things, but it just reminds you sometimes of like, maybe I need to be hustling harder. Maybe I need to be pushing. Maybe I need to get this idea out and it's not about them. So like, that's great. Find what luxury is for you. Some days, so what's, what's crazy is luxury for me is not purses or any of those things. Like I think I spend like I call it Birkin spending, I will spend the worth of a Birkin bag on something else, on an experience, on a really great trip. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm not sitting at the back of the plane and I'm not like this, this time I went home for Christmas. I was like, number one, I'm not staying in my mom's house and I would like my own apartment and I would like my own this and I would like my own that. That was probably all the worth of a Birkin bag. I didn't buy a Birkin bag. I just gave myself an experience. To some people, luxury is I want a really nice apartment that I don't have to always be trying to leave, that I'm excited to come home to. To somebody, luxury is I'm going to get myself a massage every week. To somebody, it's I'm getting a pedicure every month. Luxury does not, no one should define your luxury for you. And that's what people don't get. Luxury is a self defined thing. Now, if you look to social media as a barometer of what is luxury, that's where you get in trouble. And that's when you think people are showing off. To some people, luxury is being able to take a walk and hiring a babysitter to walk, to watch the kids. So you can do that for two hours without disturbance. That's luxury. It's all defined by who you are. And so I think when you look at people showing off um, things or what you call showing off, you have to understand it as inspiration and not as putting you down. So you should be inspired by the message beneath it all is that I deserve whatever I deem that I deserve. If it's a purse, if it's a babysitter, if it's a cleaner, if it's a, you know, getting my hair done every week, I will define my luxury, but I'm inspired by the fact that other women like me are defining their own versions of luxury. That's, that, that's where it lands. You called out some really amazing things there. Luxury doesn't mean something to everyone. Like I personally will probably never buy a Birkin, but like I, in the same way with trips, like I will spend a lot of money on a trip and not think twice. Like, let's go, we're going for two weeks. I'm trying to be in the front of the plane. Like, where are we staying? Like, and I love the idea of not calling black women bougie. Kill that. Like, I hate 
being called bougie because it almost insinuates that you don't deserve the things you have or like it you think you're better because you have them and you're right like this is my normal life like things that people call bougie like you said it's a scale but it's like oh you're fam-. like little things i mean i'm from ohio so like let's just keep it 100 like it's a different culture in different places like when you're in a city you can kind of I mean, living in New York City, like, what is luxury? We're surrounded by millionaires. But when I'm in Ohio, it's like, oh, you're wearing that? That's bougie. Oh, you went there? That's bougie. And it's like, is it? Or do you just not? It's just not what you do. Like, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything about me. So I think that's a really good point. And just normalizing that for Black women so they don't have to defend themselves. It doesn't have to be normalized Black luxury. No, it's just stop calling, just stop nicknaming it just so we just enjoy it. Right. We can enjoy what we have. We enjoy the fruits of our labor. That's another thing that you said that's really important to me. I want to hear more about that. It's like you talked about how black women work a lot and we should celebrate the fruits of our labor. So you, as someone who works a lot, how are you keeping yourself together? Like, how do you keep all this intact? You named all the businesses you have, businesses we can't even know about yet, children's books, your candle launched today. I know you have people to help you, but you also have a nine to five. So how are we doing all of that and interacting with people? Cause like you're, you're replying to DMS and everything else. You're doing this podcast with me. Like, how are you doing this? I mean, first of all, you have to have a vision. I have a vision that is very clear to me and I know what I need to sacrifice to get there. So how I do it all is the things that are sacrificed. Number one, if I'm hanging out with my friends, unless I carve out a day to fully hang out, you know, phone phone down, I'm going to be working. Like, sometimes I'll go to Kayla's house and I'm just like, I'm hanging out with you, but I'm literally waiting on a phone call. Or I'm typing stuff up and you have to sacrifice how you define friendships. I can't go and lay on someone's couch all day. That's money I've wasted. But I will find days when I can do that. And I won't get to just sleep 12 hours. I don't have the luxury of just like sleeping in. I haven't had that for the last six or seven years. I don't know what it's like to have a weekend. Because to me, it was this morning I woke up. I had very early morning run and train session because I had to get home to make sure everything was good for launch and then to get ready for this podcast. After this podcast is done, I get in a car, the car will be waiting, and I will head to the hair salon to get my hair done because tomorrow is shoot day. Those are sacrifices you make. Now how I keep myself together, listen, the same way I schedule things, I will schedule, I have a massage every single Friday, without fail. There's specific times where it's phones down, and I will dance in my apartment. Like people think I'm just dancing on Instagram. I actually dance in my apartment. How do you think I know those moves? I've rehearsed them naked. <laughs> the hips don't lie. You're over the, you, you are moving in that mirror. Right. We, we, we do our stretches. We twerk. I, I know the choreographies. And then I come and perform it. Listen. And then like a lot of times to me, sometimes I'm on the phone with my friends talking about nonsense. That's how I keep it together. I find pockets of normalcy. But... It's easy for me to say, and I have a nine to five, cool. You want the dream or you don't. Now, I still work hard, but I don't work as hard as I had to when I was first starting. Because now, there's someone who writes, you know, the captions for my candle business. There's somebody who monitors this, somebody who monitors that. But you still have to work smart because you have to pay all of these people. 
So it's one of those things. It's just like you will find a way if you want to. Now, to me, when it's tough time, you saw me. I'm up at 4 a.m. training because that is the only time I can train just so I don't have to cancel it for work. You are a motivator in that way because even like outside of the social media account, I remember we were talking in earlier quarantine. We had like a video conference, our check-ins with Kim. And I was like, oh, I want to start this podcast. And you were like, okay, then why haven't you started it? And I was at the time in Ohio in my like sister's hot pink room that I made my office. And you were like, call it chats from the hot pink room. Like, why am I not seeing this podcast? Like, what are you doing? And you just go. And I was just like, just, just reminding you of this podcast. I was just like, just eyeball emoji. I haven't forgotten. I, and I love that. I think you're, you serve as a motivator by being so open with people and then also pushing people. I think the reality of what you do in your hustle is like what we need to know. Like, that's how we know how this all runs. Cause I, when I see you, I'm just like, oh my God, how are you doing all this? But it's so like, here's, here's the mistake everybody makes. Stop trying to figure out how I'm doing it all. I'm not, I'm not trying to figure out how I'm doing it all. I'm just going. A lot of times the reason why people don't start shit is because they spend more energy brainstorming why they can't do it, what's stopping them from doing it, when will be a better time for them to do it. And I'm just like, bro, you put that much energy into brainstorming why you can't do it. Do the fucking thing. Again, people brainstorm their failures more than they brainstorm their visions. And it's just like, why? Like for me, I am so comfortable failing. I think people are more uncomfortable with my failures than I am. What has been your biggest failure? My biggest failure has always been listening to other people's opinions on things I want to do. That's, That's my biggest failure. Because a lot of times I've gone through phases where I will rely on asking people, what do you think? Do you think this was good? And then I had to realize that people can give me their opinions based off the visions they have for their lives. But no one can see mine. No matter how much I write it down or put it in fancy words, my vision is mine. And I get the better experience when I do things and they don't work out and I sort of like readjust, I pivot. That's, that's how shit works for me. And so when I fail, it's because I've listened to someone when I should have just done it and failed and gotten the lesson. Oh, I agree. The instinct, the instinct you have in your head when you're executing your own project and then someone who sees things differently will give you their little tidbit. And I'm like, ah, should I adjust? That feels like kind of a good opinion. And then you adjust and you're like, this doesn't feel like me anymore. Or this wasn't exactly what I was targeting just because I listened to outside voices. But it goes back to what you're saying about like validation and people pleasing. You have to almost block out. Um, And and I listen to feedback, but I almost strain it through like, is that relevant to me? Does that make sense? Or does that person just feel like that because of where they sit in the world, right? Like no one knows your baby like you do. Yeah, I think one one of my most recent failures had to do with the candle. When I first started, I, first of all, I didn't understand how production and stuff worked. I was literally just like, guys, we're, we're starting a candle company. I pulled folks from the blog team. I was like, I like your talent. I like your time. This is how we're going to do it. And I literally did not stock enough, okay? So you, you know, we stocked a couple hundreds and they sold out. And then it was like, okay, cool. So let's just restock. Oh, sweetheart, do you not remember it took you six months to get this product? You don't restock in a week. And so my next restock, I didn't trigger a restock quick enough. And so the hype had died down all the way. And so the candle was launched first week of December. 
our next restock was in April. So you have to rebuild the brand and rebuild the hype. And it was just like, I was on a momentum. Had I had trusted myself in the beginning and said, I'm starting a candle brand. Let me literally plan out the year. These are the candles I'm going to make. This is what, this is how many we're going to stock. Don't worry about if, if it won't sell, you will figure out a way to sell them. You are a marketer by trade. You will figure out a way to sell. I didn't trust myself. So then what happened is I had to reinvest even more in building the brand all over again. And, and what it's May 1st. Now, this is when we launched our second candle. When, if I had trusted myself, we would have been back to back to back to back to back. Now, from now we're planning the year out properly. We're already like about to shoot the next candle, but again, that space is too far. So it's, it's sort of like, to me that's, but it's, it's growing pain. It literally is growing pain. And I only got there because I failed at it. And then I was like, okay, my failure won't stop me. It will just redirect me. And, and that's what, if, if there's one thing I want everybody to fully understand is your failure doesn't stop you. It's just a redirection, redirection. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. For me, the biggest thing about failure is your pride, right? So when you fail, you feel like the whole world knows you failed. And so I'm thinking about that candle moment, right? I personally would be like, oh, like I saw all of your campaigns. I mean, they were beautiful. Like that, sh that shoe in the desert. Are you kidding me? I would be like, oh my God, that shoe, the hype, December, everyone's getting their PR packages, it's lit. And then I'd be like, okay, no, there are no more candles. And like, I didn't even know, honestly, I didn't know that though until you told me. Like, I didn't think about that rollout. And then I remember the restock and obviously you have a new candle today. And I just think that we think our failures are louder than they really are. Like, I am literally so wrapped up in it. And it's like, no one really, no one knows. Like, you kind of did that alone. <laughs> so you don't need to give it so much air. And then even like before I got on this call, the team was checking in. We were just talking about, okay, what's inventory looking like? And then I was like, oh, we're halfway sold. And it was just like, oh, okay. Because everybody on the team is so used to us selling out and me having to not take that as a failure. Like you actually helped me when we came on the call and you're just like, so how's it doing? And I was like, we're halfway sold. And you're like, you are halfway through your inventory in the first hour. And I had to be like, yeah. I'm halfway through the inventory in the first hour. And so I had to also sort of readjust my things up. It's no longer a sprint. It's a marathon. I would want there to be inventory because guess what? If this shit sells out in the first hour, I don't have a restock date. So it's like more anxiety. I don't need to go through this again of just like, oh shit, now we don't have enough. So it's, it's like, even, even with failures, you have to keep readjusting the target, like the target you're hitting. Just, just to redefine it for yourself. What has been your biggest success on the other hand? Um, having a six figure blog business. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my biggest success. It's, it's still, you, you saw my hesitation cause I, cause I wanted to say, and I was like, don't say the number. Don't, no, we're going to say the number. I think this, this year will be, if it all goes well, my first half, half million dollar year. Oh my God. And this comes from a time where the first two, three years of my blog, I did not make a penny. And I would put, like, I would put, do my taxes on Instagram and tell people, this is how much I've spent. And at that point in time, I remember very well, I was working a job and I was making what, um, what was my salary? It was 75,000 a year. And how much goes into your rent? Literally half of that. 
But I was spending $25,000 in this blog vision that I had. And it was the most painful thing because I was sitting there half the time with 30 to $50 in my bank account. Now, granted, you always have to remember the family I come from. Listen, mommy's money is not yours. Your sister's money is not yours. If you have $20, well, that sounds like a personal problem. You got there. Now, if you're dying and you're homeless, call us. But but you got there. You'll figure out you'll figure a way out. And I so I remember having those those amounts of money, but being like, nah, 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 nah. I see this. I see a vision. I'm not compromising on my quality. And now I'll sit in calls and I will literally tell tell my management team, I'm not doing this for less than twenty thousand. Wow. But to think that's what I was putting in in like a year. And now, so to me, that is my biggest success. And I'm not scared to say that a financial number is my biggest success because that just goes to show you have that vision. So when the candle is now draining all my money, like, listen, building a business with products is like pouring money down a drain. You just see it going. But I still have to give myself the same faith I had in my blog. Yeah, you have to keep pushing because you see a vision. You didn't start a candle company for fun girl i mean i the, the product it's like the logistics the packaging the shipping like i mean where does this product sit in a warehouse production samples like it's yeah. not a game it's it's not a game it's a whole thing i thank you for sharing that success because i i just even in this conversation as someone who has interacted with you before and your coworker and i just and a friend and i think it's just like I am so inspired already by the conversation and it's my podcast because I think so much goes back to vulnerability, like you sharing and like not only your platform, but right now. And I think so many of us struggle with this. Like, I think the podcast was hard for me because it's like, I'm about to tell people some stuff they don't know about me. And it's like, my mom listens to this. My dad listens to this. Like, it's so crazy to share so much of yourself, but it's been that exercise because when I look at influencers, I think what's really fun about the platform is like, the way my friends use social media is interesting to me because it's like, I'm on this rooftop. Here's like a weird shot of my boyfriend because I don't really want you to see him yet. Here's like me on vacation. And I think like the human interaction is what makes me still follow. Like when you were redoing your house and you were like, no, like I'm renting this house, but I'm making these changes. I love that you were doing that because in theory, people are like, why? Why would you do that? You're renting it. You don't own it. And you're like, Cause I can. <laughs> This is my house. Because the thing is that that, that also brings up a, a really um, important point of people. People delay gratification for themselves. Everybody's like, but why won't you just wait till you buy a house? What if I die before I buy a house? Then I was waiting. And I think sometimes I will get really rash. Literally, what if I die? Hmm? You not see how many people die from COVID. People die from getting hit by a bus, um, car crashes, everything. Listen. I always tell people, if I was to die this weekend, I'll be good. You did everything you wanted. Everything. And and it's not, no, I haven't done everything, but I have lived every day. Literally, I have not delayed anything in the day. Like, if I want to do something right now, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to delay it because I don't have faith in in how long my life will be. I don't. I'm not going to be here like I know how long I'm living. That's That's the stupidest thing ever. So I'm here for a reason. I'm still here every day. Every day when I wake up, I'm just like, whoo, I'm still here, God. So then what the fuck am I going to do today? What do I want? Do I want to travel? Do I want to design this home? 
I can't just be so comfortable and so complacent with the fact that I will be alive for long. No. no. So your motivation is your own mortality. Oh, yes. hundred percent. I literally thought I was going to die before 30. Literally. As a child. I, I kept telling myself, you're going to die before 30. But what happened was then I started being unapologetic. Oh, I mean, I might. And I remember my 30th birthday. I was like, fuck, I didn't die. Okay. So what am I going to do now? Okay. We got to keep this going. We got to keep this going. Literally. Oh my God. I just, I just think the idea of thinking about your own mortality is so interesting, but I think it, it is make sense to like live like you're dying, honestly, because you just never know. And everyone says that cliche of like, you never know what's going to happen, but like truly you don't. And I would hate to be someone who doesn't live their life in that way. Have you read Untamed? Because that is what has helped me kind of get there. Cause I don't, I don't have this fear of my own mortality. Oddly enough, I think about the death of my parents and grandparents more than mine. I think that's like, because I have the luxury of having like my grandparents still, I'm like, I'm thinking about them or I'm thinking about me, but I think I could do a better job. And after reading Untamed, it changed me because she was like, you can do whatever you want with your life. Like you can shift, you can change your mind. It's your life. And I think you've, I mean, you've been doing that. If you think about what your blog originally started as, and you're like, all right, I'm doing plus size fashion. I'm getting these. Sh- I'm getting these shots off. It's lifestyle. It's your. It's fitness now, yeah. and it's also just like it's fashion. You have moisture gang, which I got. I went to Target and bought the stuff. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. It's just incredible. And I also, I'm curious about the shift. Like as your brand shifts, has your community had feedback? Are they moving with you? What What's the vibe there? I want to hear more about it. I personally would like to go there, yes. Oh, oh, do we want to go there? Okay, so I want to know that now that your blog is less focused on I am a plus-size, like, influencer, and now it, t- it totally is about your lifestyle. Like, you have shared your journey after you got surgery this year. You have shared with us your house. You've shared with us your new friendships. I mean, we see Kayla all the time. And obviously, people have comments about your weight. They're like, okay, you've lost weight. And I've seen you say, like, okay, boundary. Like, stop talking to me about that. I went through a really big health issue. But how has the community shifted? Do you feel like they're supporting you? Or do they feel like you're, they're asking for the old content? Ooh, it's, a, it's, it's been in phases. So um, one of the very interesting things is when I first... So I went through, and I mean, even as a coworker, you knew I was like taking time off work because I was sick and like all of that stuff, like, which was crazy because then the pandemic was happening at the same time. So it was kind of like, you know, we went in the office for people to notice, oh, Hyatt really isn't here. And going through a really hard health time and coming out of it and being grateful that I came out of it and making key changes and literally making changes that were affecting what I looked like physically. And let me tell you, that was the scariest time of my life. Because even people around me were like, careful, your audience is going to be annoyed by the fact that you're, I will just say that you were losing weight. And it was, I was more insecure in my weight loss than in in how I looked like before. I was more insecure about it. There were pictures, like, I would not show my full self for a while. For like the first couple of months, like even when I go back to my archive stories, I was scared to show pictures. I wasn't shooting as much. And, you know, I was hiding behind the pandemic, but it was, it was really hard because there were people, I remember this one girl who, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast, but she said to me, I feel like between you, Jennifer Hudson and Adele, you're leaving us behind and that's selfish. 
And I was like, what? But let me tell you, I'm an empath. I cried because of that. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm letting her down. And that's, that's when I really had to step up therapy. Because my therapist would tell me, are you ever going to meet her? Do you know her? Why are you carrying her feelings as if they are yours? And there were people who would like tell me like, it's not fair. I felt comfortable in my body because of you. And so now you're changing and I feel like I have to change as well. And it was like literally feeling, first it helped me understand the depth of my influence of like, yo, me making a change in my life should not be affecting you that much. But I realized that there are people who, who look towards people to help them feel better about themselves. And that's not a bad thing. You just have to also look to people as guidance, not as gospel. And so I had to get to a point where I was like, okay, so I was Photoshopping my images to, to like appear bigger. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest things I've had to be honest about. I was Photoshopping it to appear bigger just so I wouldn't get the pushback. So one day when I literally said, we're going to stop editing these images, Everybody was like, she looks different. Yeah, because I was, I was trying to pacify everybody else, but it was too much work for me. And then I was hiding the fact that I trained. I, I was training like three, four days a week at that point, but I didn't start talking about training until sort of this year or like towards the end of last year. I've been training this hard since like what? April, May of last year. So like pretty much exactly a year. But I didn't share that with people because I didn't want to trigger people to feel because I think I was still so wrapped up in diet culture that to me, I couldn't even see training as not a weight loss thing. Because when you've grown up and you see the gym as a place to go punish yourself because of food and stuff like that. So then I had to have a moment with myself and I said, people listen to you, people trust you, people love your vulnerability. Let's open up about the conversation. Let's open up. Like, and I remember one day I got on live and I talked a bit about my surgery and I still won't go into depth about what happened because there's people in my family who don't even know how much shit I was in. So I won't share it with the world. There was a part where I have a scar right under my boob because part of my esophagus was taken out. Why? Because I was a fucking bulimic and I had eroded part of my esophagus. You have to have that shit taken out. I mean, not, I mean, I still have an esophagus, but like, you know, there was like hernias and stuff in there. And I, I was like, guys, I, I have had an eating disorder for almost five years because of diet culture. So when you say certain things to me, y'all are triggering the fuck out of me. And I don't want to go back to rehab. I don't. And having that conversation helped people shift how they talked about it because they fully understood, oh, hold on, we won't trigger her. Now, there are some people who will stake the boundary and then break it. I know you said this is a sensitive topic, but I hate that, bro. Don't tell me the boundary as you break it. And so I've just had to, like, it's still so hard for me because sometimes even like when I started dancing from the mirror a bit more, I remember one day, like people were just like, you know, and, and sometimes people would DM me. I don't share everything everybody says to me. I diligently delete some comments that people put on my page. And like somebody was just like, I feel like you dance a lot more now that you've lost weight. And I went and pulled receipts from 2015. That highlight video. I remember that. <laughs> All the dancing. The thing is that, that was also from a place of insecurity of, I don't want you to think I'm changing. 
So I've been doing this. I remember I did a Valentine's photo shoot and I was wearing like a lingerie thing and somebody made a comment of like, oh, so now you want to show your body. And then the next post was me saying, these are the last five Valentine's Day shoots. I have done this every year. And at some point in time, I was like, I'm either going to keep fighting to prove to people I haven't changed or acknowledge that I have. And I finally said, I've changed, guys, I've changed. I'm not the same person. Which I think that so many people need the room to do. We are evolving. I'm not going to be the same person. And if you need me to be and you can't be with the evolution, I'm sorry. Because you went through a lot health-wise. And I think that's something else that needs to be normalized in general. Like, just because black women or women in general who are considered plus size want to change like something about themselves, they want to get healthier, or they just want to work out. It might not even be about weight loss. I just want to work out. There shouldn't be any drama with that. I don't owe you a certain body composition so you feel comfortable. And I just like, I like following the journey because there are a lot of people who want to work out and I think they're intimidated and they're scared. And so it's like, you are inspiring some people while some people are like, oh, like you Adele and Jennifer Hudson. Like, well, I can't, now that comment, like. I understand because when, when Adele first lost weight, I felt that way, I did. When Jennifer Hudson wasn't in our plus size camp anymore, I felt that way. Because the thing is that sometimes in deep, deep inside, I always knew what, what my best self, healthier self looked like or had the potential to be. But for whichever reasons, I had bad habits that kept me in somewhere, like in specific places. There was emotional eating, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I think what I will forever be proud of is being body positive at any stage of my life. Now, that's why I could dance in the mirror at any size. That's why I could do lingerie shoots. I could wear whatever clothing because no matter where I was, I was grateful to be just there. I wasn't too focused on what what could be, what couldn't be. I didn't hate myself because I looked. it was just kind of like, and this is where we are. And I think at the end of the day, when I've had to look back and say, no, I'm not betraying anyone because I have been body positive the entire time, teaching the lesson of love yourself wherever you are, even if you're working towards something else. A lot of times we delay our love for ourselves. When I get to this size, then I'll wear this outfit. Then I'll do this. Then I'll do that. Nope, nope, nope. Right, right, right now. And I think when I was able to come to terms with the fact that you aren't betraying anybody because beneath it all, you were teaching people how to love themselves regardless of where they were. I'm comfortable saying I've changed, but the foundation of who I am has not changed. The foundation of believing. Because, listen, I, st- I don't have a flat stomach. I don't. But I'm still vibing in that mirror, okay? <laughs> Dancing. And, like, social media, just really, like you said earlier, sometimes you look to people and, like you said, it's not gospel. It's just guidance. Like, I love seeing just the multitude of body positivity. Like, Tess Holiday is one of my favorite follows on Instagram because Tess is gorgeous. Like, never in my life have I been like, oh, because she's this. No, she's not pretty. Like, when, when, when you look at Tess's page, you don't even see that she's a plus size person. She's just a fucking vibe. And I think, I think it goes back to, like, I dropped the plus size from my name like plus size blogger before I even way before I lost weight nobody just realized because one day I sort of came to terms of I hate when people define me by my size so why do I do it and so I just 
opened up my whole life and you know i think there, there's a book i'm reading it's called think again and there's three modes of thinking there's politician thinking there's sort of religious thinking and there's science thinking i've probably butchered the names but um basically politician thinking is you'll think any way that that sort of gratifies the crowd of like I they want me to believe in this so I'm just going to keep thinking that way and I will never change but I'll evolve based off of what what they want to see from me that's how politicians think religious thinking is this is it this is the gospel fuck anybody else sorry this is what this was in the book science thinking is think about scientists they literally have to rethink every single thing oh we we made this discovery we made this end road in a vaccine we have to keep retesting it because stuff develops so, so they don't hold on to one thing they redevelop every single year and i think the more we all adapt that science thinking of i can revisit who i am tomorrow i might tell you that fuck fuck clothes we should all be naked that I, I have to give myself the power to think, to think that way. So my last question for you is if you could leave the audience with any piece of advice, what would it be? You've covered a lot of good themes here about body positivity, black women in luxury, not delaying your like your life and doing what you want to do right now. But what else would you leave us with? I think at the end of the day is giving yourself the space to rethink everything you thought. If, if you thought black women didn't deserve luxury, give yourself the permission to rethink that. If you thought specific things about yourself based off of what the world told you, give yourself permission to rethink that. Give yourself permission to always rethink. Get comfortable with people telling you you've changed. Get very comfortable. Literally. If somebody says you've changed, go, yep. What if that fucks them up? Because everybody wants you to be like, no, I haven't, and then y'all will go into a discussion. No, you've changed, yep. Just I love that. And that honestly hits differently for me because I have a friend who I just had a recent conversation with about how she's changed. And I thought that was the most powerful conversation because I've noticed a change and we finally got to talk about the change and she shared, yeah, I'm different. And this is why I'm different. And this is what's going on. And I love that conversation because it's almost like addressing it's better. I don't want the conversation where it's like, I haven't because I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the change. I just want to know where we're at, what has changed. And I think you're right. Like give yourself permission to just evolve, keep changing. I've spent more energy trying to convince myself I hadn't changed. I should be different. You should be different is the key. You should not be the same. That's the problem. You left me with so many gems today, and I'm so excited just to keep seeing you build. I mean, from children's books to candles to being my coworker at Facebook. So <laughs> I just thank you for spending the time with me, Haya. It was awesome, and I'm just looking forward to seeing the empire grow. And I hope when you speak to me in a year, I have changed. From a jet, I might fly you with me, and I'll be like, the only one hour I have is between New York and Chicago. Let's go. Wow, wow, I'm pulling up to that personally. Like I'm trying to be on the trying to be on the jet. <laughs> you call me Bougie, I will kick you off the plane midair. Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you like the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.